Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight will be study number 12 of Revelation chapter 1. And we're presently reading in verse 6 of Revelation 1, And has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we've been looking at the Greek words translated as ever and ever. And the Greek word is aeon, or in the case of our verse here in Revelation 1, verse 6, aeonis and aeonon, because they are plural, and it should be translated, or it could be, for ages and ages, amen. And God is looking at eternity future. The The translators translated this correctly. It does carry the idea of forever and ever or into the eternity to come. And so there's nothing incorrect about their translation. It's an accurate meaning conveying the idea of aeonus and aeonon into ages and ages or forever and ever. But we want to look at this word aeon, which is Strong's number 165, I would invite everyone to check it out, to get out your Strong's Concordance, and to look at all the places that it's used. It's a very interesting word, and we looked at a few verses, a few places in the Bible where it was used in our last study. But tonight, we want to look at a few additional ones. Let's start with Ephesians 2 and verse 7. We looked at this last time. In verse 2, aeon was translated as course, according to the course of this world. And then in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2, we read that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And there is the Greek word aeon in a, in a plural usage, and it's translated that way. In the ages to come. So ages of ages certainly is God's way of describing something indescribable. That is an eternity without end. There is no limit to life in eternity future. We have everlasting life. Life that that continues on. And so this word ages is found here. And we also find the Greek word aeon in a couple of other places. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it's actually found a few times in 1 Corinthians, but we're going to look at uh, just a couple of places. In 1 Corinthians 2, in verse 7, it says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Now, we're looking at the word aeon, and in this verse it is translated as world singular. But it actually is a plural Greek word that should be translated in a plural way. But that wouldn't make any sense so the translators translated it this way. Yet we we know that we have to be as accurate as possible when translating the Bible 
And so the more accurate translation would read this, which God ordained before the ages unto our glory. Now, this is interesting because it is referring to ages that God had ordained for the saints' glory. And of itself, we might think, well, it's referring to the ages to come when this world is gone. But actually, we're going to find that the Bible speaks of a period of ages that identify somehow with this world. And we'll see that aeon, when used in a plural way, is a word that can describe an era or a period of time, an epoch of some type. For instance, let's stay in 1 Corinthians and turn to chapter 10, and we'll read verse 11, where it says, Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. All right, well, we we thought we've understood this verse before, and yet what makes this verse more interesting to us at the moment is that the English word world is a translation of aeon, and it should be translated in a plural way. And that would mean the translation would read, they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages are come. Now, both ends and ages are plural. And this is getting us to wonder, it, it's a little curious, that that uh, the ends of the ages are come. How can that be? We understand an end of the age to this world, to this evil generation. It's singular, God created the world so he created an age but why plural why is it the ends of the ages and i don't think we'll be able to pinpoint uh specifically these different ages although we do know that the bible speaks of the first world uh concerning the days leading up to the flood And that world was destroyed by the flood. And now there is this present world. It says in 2 Peter 3 that the Lord has restored to be destroyed by fire. We could understand that as different ages. There was the age that ended when God destroyed the world with the deluge of water. And there is this present age since that God will end with fire. But we have the suspicion there is more to this word than that because we know there was an era or a a period of time in which God dealt with national Israel and then he ceased to deal with them. They no longer were his people. Then there was a period of time known as the church age, which covered 1955 years. Or we could look at the period of time known as the day of salvation. And now we're in a a day of judgment. So there has been a change made of eras. And perhaps this is what God means when he speaks of the ends 
of the ages coming upon us. Well, let's also look at Colossians chapter 1, and we'll read a couple of verses here in verses 25 and 26. It says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Now again, this is an interesting statement. It's the same Greek word translated properly. It's plural. So it's translated as ages. And it's referring to the gospel of the Bible. The the mystery is that information that God has sealed up. And notice the mystery hath been hid. That's past tense. And this is written in the first century A.D. from ages and from generations. But it now is made manifest to his saints. And this mystery in this case is again referring to the Gentiles as the Lord opened up the Apostle Paul's eyes to see that they were fellow heirs with the Jews, that God's plan was to save people from every nation and tribe and tongue all over the earth in the New Testament era. And this information was hidden in the Bible and therefore called a mystery, and it was hidden from ages and generations. Now, that means that the time past that led up to this first century, there were found ages within that time period of history. And we know that the world was 11,000 years old, um, about the time of the birth of Christ. And so during that 11,000 year period, God established certain ages within that timeline. And now we're in the New Testament era, a different age, another period of time known as an age. Well, why is this important? It's important because the disciples asked the question, what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age? It says world, but it's the same Greek word. It's important because in Matthew chapter 13, it says, and I'm going to read the few verses here, beginning in verse 38. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. Again, aeon, the Greek word that could be translated age and should be. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. No, age is, I think, the better translation. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, 
these verses are speaking of Judgment Day, which we have learned occurred on May 21, 2011, and continues ever since into our present time and for the foreseeable future. We are living in the Day of Judgment. But you see that when people historically or traditionally have read these verses and they saw that the the wheat and the tares were separated and the tares bundled for burning and cast into a furnace of fire on the day of judgment, they concluded, well, it says the end of the world. It, it comes on the very last day. Christ returns and all these things happen instantaneously. All transpire at once. And yet a more careful looking into what God has done and into how he uses this word aeon indicates an end of the age, not necessarily the end of the world in the sense the world is destroyed. As we saw in Colossians 1 and and other places, ages have already come and gone. And those ages have ended the the end of the age, as it says here, but in a plural sense, so there was more than one, and the world continued. And likewise, as we read Matthew thirteen thirty nine, this is telling us about the end of the day of salvation, the end of the latter rain, the end of the great tribulation, the end of God's judgment which began at the house of God, the end of the judgment on the churches and the transition into the judgment on the whole world, but not the end of the world itself. And and so that's uh, important for us to realize that at least this word gives us that possibility and should be looked at in the light of all the the places that it is used in the scriptures. Well, the word aeon is very interesting, and and I'm sure there's more to it. And we'll also, Lord willing, have many more opportunities to look at this word as as it'll come up again and again as we study the book of Revelation. And so we'll have further opportunity to discuss it in the future. But for now, let's continue and move on into the next verse in Revelation 1, verse 7. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Now, this verse is uh, telling us of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the one in view by the personal pronoun he, behold, he cometh with clouds. And we know without any question it's Jesus. Remember what it said when he left this world in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to read a verse before we get to the ascension of Christ. In Acts 1 verse 3, it says, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days 
and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Forty days. That's curious, because after Christ's resurrection, he showed himself for forty days, and then he ascended up into the clouds, as it says in verse 9 through 11. And when he had spoken these things, well, they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And that is how Christ left this earth after the 40-day period. And what's interesting about it is that Jesus drank of the cup of the Father's wrath in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as he um, submitted himself to the will of the Father and going to the cross, and the Bible speaks of this period of time as three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and so that entire period of time, really, even though Christ wasn't making payment, pictures at least the wrath of God being poured out upon him for the sake of his of the elect as as Christ was demonstrating what he had done before the world began. And then he rose from the dead early Sunday morning, and Sunday became the Sabbath, and he showed himself for 40 days. 40 days, again, the number 40, and then he ascended up into heaven, and a cloud received him. Now, there's a similarity. As Judgment Day came on May 21 of 2011, and the cup of the Father's wrath has been given to all the unsaved people of the earth, and the believers are also, um, 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us, appearing before the judgment seat of Christ, or making manifest that we have received the judgment in the person of Jesus also before the world began. And so in that sense, we're, we're living in the day of judgment. We're here to make manifest what God has done for our benefit and on our behalf. And following this period of the drinking of the cup, what, what do we find? Well, judgment day, there's a strong possibility, will last for, for 1,600 days or for 40 days times 40 days. That 40 times 40 equals 1,600. So we are here 40 days, followed by another 40-day period and another and another until 40 periods of 40 days have passed. And then comes the last day of the 1600, which is also the 10,000th day of overall judgment since God began judgment on the house of God on May 21, 1988. And the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles and a day 
we have an expectation, a, a possible expectation to be lifted up out of this world to meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds. And and so there is that similarity. Christ drank of the cup, and then following his resurrection, 40 days, and he went up into a cloud. Now, the world drinks of the cup, and we are making manifest we have drank from that cup before the world in the person of Christ. And following 40 times 40, the body of believers then, it appears, could be taken up. So that's an interesting relationship and similarity to what Christ went through. But we're looking at the idea of the clouds as Revelation 1-7 states, Behold, he cometh with clouds. And we want to take our time and and carefully examine what the Bible has to say about clouds because they are uh, very much in view for the, this time period. It says in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, Shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. We know that verse 29 of Matthew 24 is speaking of our present time. It's spiritually the gospel sun has been darkened and the moon is not giving its light and the stars have fallen from heaven and the powers of the heaven, these spiritually uh, speaking celestial bodies that God's word has established in the spiritual heavens have been shaken. And then this is the sign that we find in the Bible. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Now, do we see Christ coming in the clouds? If we look up, if we uh, lift up our our heads and and cast our eyes, do we see Jesus anywhere in the clouds, and the answer is no. But why would we expect to see him literally in the clouds when the language of the Bible in the previous verse was all spiritual? And and so why would we think that it would switch to literal? Well, we'll take a look at what God means by seeing a little later on. But for now, let's let's also go to Mark 13. And it says in verse 24, But in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And finally, in the parallel passage of Luke 21, And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, 
men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Now, certainly, if we saw the Son of Man literally coming in a cloud with power and great glory, that would be our redemption. Our redemption would not be nigh, it would be here. The end of the world would be upon us. There is no way that the language of verses 25 through 27 of Luke 21 can be literal. It must be spiritual, as God says, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh or near. It's not there as yet, because what God is referring to as coming to pass is when you and I and the people of God see with our spiritual eyes that God has given us, when he saved us, he gave us eyes to see and ears to hear, when we see these things in the Bible, when we understand them well, because we're living at that time, and the Lord is confirming these things by his word as we continue to maintain and follow the same methodology as God's people have always followed. You know, we're not doing anything differently in these days after the tribulation. We're still comparing spiritual with spiritual carefully, checking the Bible, making sure our conclusions harmonize. And these things are what the Bible is saying, just as the Bible teaches a judgment on the churches that cannot be seen. The Bible teaches a judgment upon the world that cannot be seen. And yet, when we see the Son of Man coming in a cloud or in the clouds of heaven, then look up. Well, what does those clouds uh, refer to? What are the clouds pointing to? When we get together in our next Bible study, we'll go to a passage in the Bible that will identify the clouds of heaven and will reveal to us, in so doing, exactly where we are to see the Son of Man when he comes.